Asheville band Secret Shame earned tremors of national attention a few years ago with its debut EP. Now the band is in swing of touring behind its first full-length album titled Autonomy. The songs are built around the darkened headspace of vocalist Lena, who says her battles with mental illness have been a double-edged creative sword. With like mental illness, I just ended up getting really sick and I became obsessed with writing these lyrics about the things that I was going through at that exact time. And I didn't really think forward about, I'm going to have to actually sing these words and people will hear them until we were recording. I'm Matt Pikin. Today on The Overlook, Lena of Secret Shame talks at length about the difference between expressing herself on paper and reliving her traumas every night in performance. She also relates her feelings when fans tell her how deeply her lyrics affect them. In the second half of our program, we'll hear pieces of several songs from Autonomy, and Lena discusses the more recent challenges she gave herself of writing from a positive place. Matt Pikin here from The Overlook. Just as I interview my guests, I interview my sponsors. Those conversations are what you hear as advertisements on The Overlook. No other media outlet in town gives you that much time for your messages. So your ads don't sound like ads. They sound like advice or points of view that really help listeners. And that's how listeners of The Overlook will come to think of you as helpful members of the community. Become a sponsor of The Overlook. Email me at matt at podavl.com. Lena's lyrics are personal, vulnerable, and revealing. I asked her if she tried, when recording the songs on Autonomy, to distance herself at all from the emotions behind her songs so she could deliver a strong vocal performance. No. I definitely was trying to listen to my own voice, of course, but I actually, I might have told you this, I actually went back and re-recorded Zero because the first time we did it, it sounded fine, but the emotion was not at all where I wanted it to be. So we were playing Zero Live for a while, and it was like, just about every time we played it, it would make me cry. And it still does, a lot of times, not every time, but I was like, listening to the recording, and I was like, this does not translate the way that I want it to. In what way didn't it translate? I was too shy, like I was too reserved, because I was trying to make sure that my singing sounded good enough. You know what's interesting to me that you said that, because you talked about this when we very first met, that it took you seven rehearsals just to even begin singing. Yeah. So it's coming across to me, and you tell me if this is not necessarily so, but it's easier for you to put your lyrics and these deeply personal, painful memories on paper than it is for you to sing them. Yeah, definitely. Talk about that, even before you became a member of Secret Shame, how did that, the, the very beginnings of you expressing these stories come out? I've been writing music for as long as I can remember, probably since I was about five. I've been writing lyrics for songs. And I don't know, my, my childhood was just really sad. And I mostly wrote really sad things. Can you talk about that a little bit? You said you were writing songs since five. You were writing the words. Were you also writing music along with it? No. I 
dad was a musician, my mom was a musician, and I guess I could have said both of my parents were musicians. But, <laughs> yeah. um, and I would go to their band practices. My mom played in one of the like storage units around that still existed. They were musicians in Asheville? Yes. Do you remember the names of the bands they were in? My mom was in, she was first in this band called St. Famine Society, which was like Nine Inch Nails inspired rock. It was really good. I loved it. Wow. And it had some like industrial elements. It was like grimy. And then she was in this band after that called Pawtooth. Was she a vocalist too? Yeah. She was. Did she and your dad meet in the music scene? No. Okay. Which is interesting. They met in Atlanta and they moved here together when I was maybe six months old. And then they divorced when I was like two. You said you had a, a tough childhood. I would imagine just because the background of your mother that you had something to connect with her on. Yeah. Was that a connection point? And if so, what was the relationship with you and your mother through the tough times of your childhood? It was definitely like a connection for us. I would go to her band practices and I would sing on the mic and I would make up songs and her band members would make up music to go with it stuff. And I would write songs with my dad as well. He wrote like folk music, basically. He was an incredible guitarist. And then he died when I was eight. I had a stepdad, but he didn't really help take care of me. He was, he sucked. Okay. <laughs> um, so my mom was essentially just taking care of me on her own. Were you an only child? I had three stepbrothers, but I was an only child in my blood yeah. generations. <laughs> so you've been writing lyrics, at least, since early childhood, yeah. and always from a root of your own trauma and experience in that way? Yeah. I also have had nightmares for my entire life. Since I was very young, I would have nightmares, and I used to just, I had a really big imagination as a kid. I guess I still do, but I would just see a lot of things that weren't there, as kids do. It just never really went away, but I'd write and do art a lot based on those nightmares. So at the, by the time you joined Secret Shame, you had already been mining your own experience for a long time. How did things evolve for you or what you were inspired to write about when Secret Shame took shape? So I had always been writing kind of dark personal lyrics, but a lot of them were shrouded and metaphor. And a lot of people didn't have any idea what I was talking about. Intentionally? because I didn't, I was scared to be vulnerable. How do you do that as a vocalist where you're both wanting to express certain things, but you're scared to be vulnerable? How do you marry the two in a way that you're okay with putting in music that people will hear? I think I spent more time on the lyrics for autonomy than I've spent for any lyrics I've ever written. I knew that the lyrics were gonna be very personal, so I had to make sure that, that they were exactly what I was trying to say, what I was trying to get across. Secret Shame had a little bit of good energy coming out of the EP. You guys got written about. How did that change things for you in terms of, did it tell you that, wow, this is now my full-time job? Like now <laughs> expressing myself and putting myself out there, this is what I'm devoting myself fully to do. Did that do that for you? Yes, COVID, quarantine happened and there was nothing to do but really write music and for me also get really sick. You got COVID? No, but just with like mental illness, I just ended up getting really sick and I became obsessed with writing these lyrics about the things that I was going through at that exact time. And I didn't really think forward about, I'm gonna have to actually sing these words and people will hear them until we were recording. You mentioned your mental illness. Were there specific episodes that you were drawing on or that were connecting the songs? Yeah, 
all the songs had mostly to do with anorexia and with struggling with that. I was having a really difficult time during quarantine. It's very lonely, it's isolating. A lot of people with eating disorders fell back into that. It's, that's called relapsing. It triggers the same area of your mind as uh, drug addiction. And so I relapsed into that. And at the same time, I was having manic and depressive episodes. I got diagnosed with bipolar two, as well. During this time? Yeah, that I got diagnosed with anorexia. I also got diagnosed with bipolar. So when that happened, did your mom get you help or did you seek out help? I sought out help after a few people that were around me told me that, that I had to. It says something about you that you were able to listen to that because a lot of people in the midst of that don't listen to other people. I didn't want to. I didn't for a while until one person was basically like, I can't deal with this anymore and you need to get help or else it was basically an ultimatum. Tell me if this is not a comparable parallel. But I remember when I fir very first met you and your bandmate who you ended up, you and the rest of the band dismissed from the band. From what I remember, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but he wouldn't get help. Yeah, they wouldn't get help. Sorry. And they were, yep, they, it was, it's a very interesting thing to me that I ended up getting diagnosed with the same illness. They had bipolar one, I have bipolar two. Can you tell us the difference? Bipolar one has longer manic episodes and shorter depressive episodes. They're dangerous in different ways because when you have mania, I have hypomania. So my mania will last anywhere from four days to two weeks. But if you have bipolar one, your mania will, could last a month or could last longer. And that's a month of basically very little to no sleep and just this constant energy, these constant ideas. It feels like you're talking to God literally. But then with bipolar one, you'll have basically like a hypo depression where your depression is four days to two weeks. Mm. But my depression can last up to six months. Are there any signs on the horizon when you feel it coming on? Are there ways yes. there are, and yeah. there are ways you can stave it off? Yeah. It, it's also difficult because mania can feel really fun. It'll, a lot of the times it'll be the cycle of being depressed for months and then being manic for a little while. And then you crash and you're depressed immediately after that. So when you start to feel manic, or personally when I start to feel manic, it's like an exciting thing. So I'm like, oh, now I have all this energy, I have all these ideas. And it's hard to realize that you're manic when you are. Oh, just, really? Yeah. So when you're experiencing it, you can experience it as a rush of creativity? Yes. And did that happen for you in the, in the writing for Autonomy? Yes. And it was, I didn't know I was having a manic episode, but it was, yeah, there was this one night and I was lying in bed and I just like suddenly, and this is such a common story, I've realized after talking to people where I was just lying there trying to go to sleep and I started having all these ideas. And I have a lot of ideas in general, but this was like, like a beacon of light had hit my brain and all these things were opening up and I just realized all these things and I couldn't lay in bed. I went out of my room and I just paced around writing. I drew two or three storyboards for different music videos from start to finish in that night. And then the next day I was just, I didn't sleep at all. I was dancing and singing and at this time, I got really obsessed with the musical Jesus Christ Superstar. And it was just, I was just playing it on repeat and singing along to it and like 
simultaneously trying to write an autobiography because I was like, I have all these, I need, the world needs to know what's going on in my head, which is ridiculous. But then on day four of that, I started feeling really weird. I started feeling like I was levitating and I would see like these flashes of color. The world around me had this like pink fade on it. And I had therapy that day. And I talked to her for two minutes and she was like, you are having a manic episode. I could tell immediately. You didn't know until that point. No. It sounds like this could be both scary and exhilarating. It was very exhilarating and then it turned scary. It always turns scary. Oh, it does. Talk about the transition from this wild creative burst in which you have ideas for music videos and autobiography to something <laughs> scary. It's like having so many ideas, having so much going on in your head that it hurts. It's just nonstop intrusive thoughts of creativity, basically. And anything else, it doesn't have to be creativity. When you come out of this, into the scary phase of this, and you look at what you've created, can you relate to it still or not anymore? Do you look at it and go, I, this is just... It depends. With the like autobiography that I was trying to write, I read back on it and I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. Like This reads insane to me. And I deleted it all, which I wish I hadn't done. At that point in time, I was really concerned about people not finding out that I was maybe unhinged. <laughs> What's the difference between the autobiography that you were writing during this episode and the lyrics mm -hmm. that you're writing? Autobiography was just like pouring out words. It was not calculated. The lyrics, Pink Staircase, I wrote it in like 30 minutes. That song, I did not really edit or calculate at all. And I read it a few days later and I was like, hmm, well, that is what it is. Like, it's kind of weird. <laughs> but you not only kept it, but you were good putting it out in the world. Not all the songs on Autonomy were written in this manic phase, no. right? Can you tell the difference when you look at your lyrics now? Can you see a difference tangibly in the songs that you wrote during that, that phase? Yeah. Zero was a song that I wasn't manic when I wrote it, but I wrote it when I was having a pretty big mental breakdown. You can have mania without being bipolar. People can have periods of mania sometimes. I wasn't having a manic episode. I was experiencing some mania while I was writing that song though. And it was, it's just very, this is what it has to be. I had the word zero, but that was it. And I just was sitting beside the practice room. I was sitting outside of it on the other side of the doorway like and writing it. And the line, I cry in the doorway, but make sure to be quiet, is just exactly what was happening in that moment. Is it hard for you to bring these songs to your bandmates? Yes, definitely. <laughs> Talk about that. How do you, why do you, versus you getting on a piano and just mm -hmm. playing it yourself mm -hmm. or, you know, talk about that process. It's scary, but I can't really write this stuff myself. I can write my own music, but this is something 
that feels different for me, where it's this, this group of people with all these different artistic ideas coming together and, like, melding. Do your songs start taking on different shape for you once the band gets a hold of it? What happens is they write the music, and then I will write to the music. I write lyrics all the time, just randomly. So sometimes with Secret Shame, I will take lines from other songs, but I am writing directly to the music that the bandmates have already written. So then the record comes out. You guys went on tour right away. You did a month-long tour. We, yes, yeah, we did. We did five weeks. It was 35 days. You'd performed some of these songs for audiences before. What was it like touring them and being fully in it for you? It was wild. It was really hard, honestly. Every night, and this is amazing, but it was also this, it put me in this really strange place where people would come up to me and they, I would be sobbing or something. They'd be like, your raw emotions are so beautiful, and I love seeing you perform like that. A lot of people would tell me their most traumatic stories because at that point it's sort of, at least this is how I see it, is that I don't exactly feel like a person anymore. I'm like a character that since I'm opening up about this stuff, then other people feel comfortable telling me about their lives, which is amazing. But it also, night after night, can get really emotionally difficult. Was that something you had not anticipated? Yeah, I did not anticipate that. I didn't anticipate, people have told me that, that this album saved their life from like being suicidal and then feeling like somebody understood them. How do you wear that information? How does that sit with you? It freaks me out. I think it's incredible, but it's also, it makes me feel like, okay, what if I'm not doing good anymore? Like how much power is there really in this position? And then at the end of tour, when we were in Birmingham, I actually had a really big breakdown and I went outside. Usually I go off stage and I sell merch, but I couldn't do it. And uh, I sat outside and this thought kept coming through my head of, I wrote the lyrics to these songs as a form of catharsis for myself. But now that I'm performing them over and over again and doing it for people and they're telling me that it's beautiful, it feels like this is becoming my personality. Like the mental illness and the sadness, the dark parts of my life are becoming what's making me interesting and relatable to other people instead of just, I have a lot more going on than that. And for the most part, I would say that I'm pretty high energy and I'm kind of stupid. I don't know. Like I, I am like weird and like to laugh. And it just, in that moment, I was just, and I don't think that this is actually true, but after that tour, it just felt like, oh, even this thing that I thought I was doing for myself, turns out that it's re-traumatizing me and it's ending up being for other people. You felt like a character. Yeah. So once you're off stage in Birmingham and thinking this, how did you reconcile or have you reconciled that realization or that feeling that you are a caricature or a character that others have shaped through your lyrics to believe they understand you in this kind of one-dimensional way? I would say, if anything, I've probably been 
leaning into it more as a way of like self-defense. If I detach myself from this by kind of doing it to that extent and maybe even being what people expect me to be on stage, then it does become an actual character for me and I don't have to relate it to myself. It allows you to hide. Yes. To steal from the song, hide. Yes. Um, is that what the, that song is yes. about? There's specifically the second verse. I hate quoting my own lyrics, but <laughs> I'm gonna do it. It says, hide in catharsis where illness becomes art. Cathartic motions lay me bare, pedestals tear me apart. And that's, that line is exactly about what I'm talking about. Does this allow you now going forward, like to make a deal with yourself? Like as Lena in Secret Shame, I am playing a character. It's a weird and hard line to toe because the whole point of this album for me was to be more vulnerable and be comfortable with being myself and expressing myself and the dark sides of me. I think that really, instead of leaning into it more, what I need to figure out is how to express the positive sides of myself. That seems like a huge challenge, doesn't it? Artistically <laughs> yeah. to pose to yourself. Have you started writing from that vantage? I've been trying and it's really hard. I've been trying to do something like that for most of my life, but most of my music specifically always ends up having, even these like happy songs I try to write tend to have something sad or bittersweet or dark about them. But why try to force yourself into something that's not organically just coming from you. I think that it's natural for me to write from this like dark, depressing side of things. And I'm scared to write from a more positive side. I, I, it's hard for me to believe that I, I have positive aspects to myself. And so artistically, I think that is a challenge that I need to face so that I don't put myself in this box of just always being miserable all the time, and that's all I deserve, is just being miserable constantly. But you said yourself you like to laugh, there's all these yeah. other sides to your personality. Do you think in a way that you're trying to knock down the walls of your creativity within secret shame, so that secret shame becomes a more positive experience for you? Yes, I think so, because it's this is my life, this is what I want my life to be, is just touring. Everything <laughs> is this band, we're about to go on tour at the end of this week, and I'm excited. Talk but, about that. What gets you excited to tour? If you're having these experiences, and we haven't talked about the range of experiences you had on tour, we just mentioned about how people come to you, tell you these things. What do you enjoy so much about touring? It just feels, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done, especially the last tour. The 2022 was one of the worst years of my life. So all of these tours that we went on were really also upsetting because of my mental state. And I was really scared to go on this last tour. And it was amazing. It was also really hard. The one that we just talked about. Yeah. So 
This past month, I have not been depressed this past month for the first time in about two years. Do you know why? Most of my life, I have made decisions based on other people. And lately, I've been learning how to have boundaries, learning how to say no to people, and doing things that actually make me feel good, and living for myself. You mentioned how touring is your life. You want it to be your life. Yes. How does the nature that of this being your career and that delicate balance between being honest to yourself and living with yourself, what do you think is key am among all that to maintaining your mental health through it all? Because that seems to be the big question for you. Yes, and that's what I've been trying to figure out. At this point, for the past few years at least, I've been focused on quick fixes to my mental health. Okay, I'm gonna stay up all night and party and do these drugs, essentially, and that'll make me feel good tonight, instead of what will actually improve my life and the way I feel in the long run to set me up for being happy and feeling also like I deserve to be happy. And that's something that I'm trying to work on right now. I think that the key to having better mental health for me is to practice having better mental health, is to actually focus on having better mental health. You mean just fake it till you make it in a way? Yeah, and I'm really excited for this towards because I'm not depressed right now and because I haven't been since really the beginning of January. It doesn't sound like that long of a time, but it is really amazing to come out of depression after so long. And I think that I'll be able to handle these songs on this tour in a much more positive way of the things I'm singing about are in the past and I can still feel them, but they're not going to completely consume me every night to the point where I'm just like spiraling out of control. Your mom had a history in music. She's obviously seen your band. Yeah. What's your relationship like now that you're a young adult and you're in music in the way that she could probably relate to in some way? How has she related to your music and what you're going through? It's been a struggle. I live with her right now. And when I first got these diagnoses, is probably the word. I was living with her at that time, too. And she had a hard time accepting that they were real. She was like, you shouldn't let these people tell you what's wrong with your mind. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not bipolar. Like, that's that's not who you are. And it's like, I understand the sentiment there, but also... It's a denial, in a way. It's sure. Because I would think it would be a tough thing for any parent yes, to accept, definitely. oh, my child is struggling in this way that I can't help with. Right. And that's definitely the case, but she actually has been a huge support for me. I feel very thankful that I have such an incredible relationship with my mother. So many people don't get to have that. And she loves Secret Shame. She listens to it all the time. It's, I think it's one of maybe two CDs she has in her car. <laughs> really? uh, yeah. And every time I get in her car with her, she's listening to it. That's great. But uh, <laughs> do you think it's helped her understand you yes, more? Yes, I would say so. Yeah, definitely. And our relationship has changed in a lot of ways since she started hearing these songs, since she started watching us perform these songs, and definitely since I got diagnosed. But when she watched the music video for Zero the first time, it made her cry. And sometimes she'll cry at our shows, especially mm. if I am, which makes sense. So what are you working on creatively now? You haven't had an episode in a while, at least this calendar year. Are you creating outside of these episodes? And if so, what are you thinking of what you're creating? Right now I'm working on a solo EP. 
that I'm going to record with Alex from Drop of Sun. Tell me what's different about that EP, either both in terms of the mood, emotion, lyric, or the music, from what we hear in Secret Chain. So I have three acoustic songs that I want to record, but I also want to record three pop songs. Pop music is my favorite type of music. That's always positive lyrics, right? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I think some of it will be, though, but I want to take this angle of, like, confidently and with sass moving past the negative things. Very sassy is, I think, what's going to happen. But I don't know, because I haven't written those songs yet, and I really need to. But Secret Shame is also writing, again. It's definitely a new direction, and I'm really excited for the songs. I want to thank Lena of Secret Shame for today's revealing conversation. If you have thoughts about the music of Secret Shame and Lena's lyrics, let me know on the Overlook's recorded line, and your comments might make it into a future episode. Call 984-278-7301. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. New episodes go online every weekday morning. I'm Matt Pikin, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook.